Hi, welcome to Enlighten Me. This is Rodney Crowther. And this is Eddie Sanchez. Hey, Eddie, did you watch the Super Bowl this year? I did, actually, and I was rooting for the 49ers. And I thought they had it. I thought they had it, the, you know, the whole game. But yeah, They were right. They kept not putting it away, though. Yeah, yeah. Mahomes, I mean, came through and did his thing. Um, were you yeah. rooting for Not. Team? I was just, I was in that. I don't, I'm not really a fan of either team. Then it was a good game. Yeah. Like dramatic to the last snap. Yeah, it was definitely one of the best Super Bowls in recent years. And then we're moving into March. So March Madness is coming up. And yeah, that's I know, my real Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, college basketball like. is my jam. You have a dog in the fight? Not really. I watched March Madness for the upsets, man. That And, you know, like doing the bracket in the office, trying to pick the, the dark horse team that's going to knock off a number one or number two in that first weekend. Yeah, the Cinderella stories. It's always nice yeah. just to... Just to watch some games and, you know, just to get some basketball in the system. Oh, yeah. I might have to take a day off once the tournament starts, depending on how the seedings go. Yeah, I know that you really love your sports, and I'm sure there's a ton of people out there that are super fanatics. Oh, yeah, definitely. I know a lot of people don't come in the Monday after the Super Bowl. Um, You know, it's probably good the bowl games are over the holidays because a lot of Texas State people, after our first bowl win ever, probably wouldn't have been rushing to get back to campus and class right after that Maybe not in the the mind state to get back to school right away, huh? Yeah, so that got me thinking, man, what is it about sports that gets people so fired up like why do we love sports what do we as humans get out of all the attention we give to sports so i know that you were super excited to get into this episode of course because it dealt with sports so who did you get a chance to talk to yeah i talked to coach daniel del prado from our bobcat football staff i'm a uh, football coach here at texas state i coordinate all of our special teams and i'm our associate head coach and you know we weren't talking x's and o's we were really talking about what this season did for like the students and the fan culture here on campus. Badgett has got a single back in the backfield with him. Snap is back. Looking middle, throwing middle intercepted. Brian Holloway again, far side, 45, cuts outside 35. <laughs> He's got a convoy. Holloway to the 15, to the 5. Touchdown, oh. Bobcats! Unbelievable. And just to start off here, just tell me what it is about sports that you think brings people together. What gets so many people excited about sports? I think initially it's the the camaraderie. Um, with football, it's definitely camaraderie. Sport, it's competition. It's that it's that edge. It's that angle. It's that um, competitive juices that gets every person flowing when any type of competitive sport, whether that's, I'm a big, uh, I love track and field, right? That's a mm-hmm. one-on-one, mano y mano, me versus you. It's that competitive nature as, as human beings that we possess inside of us to compete and, and ultimately to win. Okay, well, tell us a little bit about your like evolution as a, a person who loves sports. Were you, like, as a little kid, always into sports, or was it something you kind of came to as you got a little older? Yeah, so my dad was a coach for 40-plus years, so I've been around football and sport my entire life, um, so that's, that's all I've known. I grew up... Um, I grew up a long time ago, but I grew up outside, um, always playing. Um, your, your knees were always bloody because you were falling down chasing a basketball or, or playing tackle football on, on the, the asphalt. So that was just part of it growing up. So I've been around it my whole life, and that's just been instilled in me from my mom and dad of, of the competitive nature of, of not only sport but life. How did Coach Del Prado end up at Texas State? Actually, 
you know, he came through his personal network with other coaches that found their way to Texas State. Coaching's a, kind of a, a fraternity in itself. I was at Arkansas like the week after Coach Kinney was at Arkansas. Um, so there was a little connection there. Um, we didn't really meet. But then in 2021, Coach Kinney was the offensive coordinator at the University of Central Florida. I was at the University of South Florida. So we played against each other in the last uh, game of the season. And then the following year, Coach Kenny was the head coach at Incarnate Word, and as things started to transpire um, for him, um, South Florida made a change at head coach. I happened to be the interim head coach, and there was, you know, Coach Kenny was watching his alma mater Tulsa play, and we happened to be playing them on a Friday night and played well against them. Kind of got connected and had some um, had some phone conversations, and Coach Kenny gave me the opportunity, and I and I jumped at it. Great, great place. Wouldn't wouldn't change it for the world. Does it make a difference really to the players, like what the fan vibe is when there's people in the stands versus, you know, a half empty stadium? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we look back at um, uh, family weekend, we, we did the, the catwalk when we went through the parking lot. All of a sudden, you, you could just see the player. I mean, we get off a quiet bus, you know, and you walk and you start walking through our student body and, and everybody tailgating. And boy, I'll tell you what, we turn the corner and get into the stadium. Everybody's looking around talking to each other like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be electric. And then you, you come running out and you score and in the, the, just the electricity that is created, right? You talk about execution fuels emotion. Well, the, the fans add to that and the student body adds to that. And all that does is just build up everything that's going on. And on the flip side of that, you have an opponent that's on the other side that's feeling the exact opposite. And they're feeling it a totally different way. So our fans this year were incredible. And we really saw that in the bowl game. Right when everybody traveled uh, up north again, up uh, to SMU, and we had twenty six thousand fans that that literally ate and drank everything in the stadium, I and heard. Um, just just an incredible atmosphere. When our kids came running out for that and saw all of our fans, it was unbelievable. It's electric. I mean, I, I got chills going down the back of my neck right now because that's that's what it's about. That's that's why you put in the time and the effort and all the hard work that these kids put in day in and day out, and the sacrifices that they make or for those opportunities. Yeah, I think that's something I hear non-sports people or casual sports fans say sometimes, that the fans don't really matter. These kids are, are even at pros. They're professionals. They're dedicated. They're going to play whether there's people cheering or not. But, like, does it feed the team it, when we go up in Baylor and their crowd gets quiet? Right, yeah, yes, 100%. Um, and, and the coach in me, right, I, I got to sit there and tell the players, like, it doesn't matter. Hey, we go on the road. There's not going to be any fans. There's all those good things, right? You got to be able to coach both sides of it. But from a, um, I mean, just from a shoot as a fan, if I was a fan, if I, as a coach, I go out there and you, you feel the electricity, you feel it. It is there. And yes, when you score in a stadium that is a packed house, that is not rooting for you. And all you hear is that little up in the corner of our fans, right? That's where Baylor put us. And that's where everybody should. Oh yeah. They you put you up the in a little corner all by yourself. You just find them. You look for them and you can see everybody going and the rest of the place is quiet. That, that electricity is, is what sport is all about. Did he see a pretty big change in how the students, I guess how much they were excited to be a part of the games? Absolutely. And, and not, not only on game day, but just in the community, everywhere you went, you know, your, your, the players, the coaches, everybody affiliated with our program is just proud to wear the Bobcat logo around town. And, and that hasn't changed. I mean, shoot, they, my, the neighborhood I live in has got signs that say, back the Bobcats and all these things. I'm like, we better get some of those, put them in the front yard. I mean, I mean, it just, it, it kind of electrified a, a, not only a, a football program, an athletic department, a university, a community, a fan base, and, and an alumni that, 
man, it just, just an awesome feeling. And you, you get excited about it, right? Because it just happened. But we're, we're, we're already working towards doing it again and, and taking it to new heights and new levels. But yeah, you absolutely feel that. And that's what these kids work for. Well, you grew up a sports fan in a sports household. Uh, what do you think draws other people in who don't have that background? Yeah, I think entertainment. I mean, I think it's um, it's one of those whether you know a lot about it or not, you can get you can get out, you can get your your family. So we have people that ask all the time, right? Like, how how can I help? How can I help? And not everybody can help from a financial aspect, right? But if they're able to get to a game, they're able to get their family out there. Beautiful day here in San Marcos. Go through the tailgate. Come out, watch the game. We have a, a very exciting product we put on the field. We, we absolutely light up the scoreboard on offense. Defensively, we're incredibly aggressive. We led the country in tackles for loss. We were, we were highly ranked in turnovers, and we're going to play an aggressive style of football that is entertaining. So now you come out to the game, there's all kinds of activities. Our, our fans, our, our game day atmosphere, all the different things we do with the lights and the, and the crowd and the strutters and the cheer and the dance and the band and all those things, it's entertaining. And it's, it's at a great value and they can come out there and enjoy. So to me, then all of a sudden they leave and they're like, man, we went to that game. They played great. We won. Our kids had fun or we had fun. Um, so to me, it's, it's, uh, it's entertainment. And we put a great product out there that's very entertaining to watch. Um, whether you know a lot about the sport or not, you're going to come out there and you're going to walk away and be like, wow, that was exciting. That was, there was a lot of uh, energy and electricity because everyone will feel it. I know you guys are working hard to build on it on the field. How do you help build the community off this like great season in our first bowl win? <laughs> Doing this right here, right? I mean, having these conversations and talking about it. And to me, um, it's all day, every day, right? Uh, everywhere I go, I wear this Bobcat logo. I'm proud. I didn't get to go to school here. I wasn't born in San Marcos. I didn't get to go to school here. I wish I could have. Um, hey, where did you go to school? I actually went to Louisiana Monroe. Okay. So in the conference. In but, the conference. Um, but... I wish I could have gone to school here. This place is absolutely incredible. So I, I walk around town wearing my Bobcat logo proud. Anybody I get a chance to interact with, any, any person that's a part of our university, our program, you can help. And you can help by just um, wearing your wearing your colors proud and communicating with people and letting them know, man, I went to I went to six games, seven games, I went to twelve, thirteen games last year, and it was incredible. Come join me, come out to the games, have fun. So was it tough for him to be coaching against his alma mater? Not one bit. I know. <laughs> Listen, I got a, I got a family and uh, little girls at home, and uh, they depend on dad doing a good job at work. So um, I, I can root for them uh, every time, every game. When throughout they're not the year, playing us, except when they're playing us. So I have okay. no, not one bit uh, whatsoever. And they gave us a heck of a game. We were fortunate to be able to pull it out at the end. It is fair to say this was not a football culture at Texas State for at least the last decade. I think. Uh, a generation before when they were in D2 when they won a couple of mm -hmm. national championships there was one but the last decade it just hadn't been evident here yeah um, not that they weren't great athletes on the field like doing their best but you know something came together differently this year uh, and you touched on it that coach Kenny kind of set the tone coming in and President Danfis but it really organically still had to catch fire among the the people on campus and in the town so yeah and and i think right you can you can always learn from the past while we live in the present and, and we plan for the future and there, there's been success here there's been there's been tons of players and coaches and people that have come through here and won and had great success and you kind of find out you know what and why college football we're, we're in a um some uncharted territory right oh totally of, of college football right now and we were able to benefit from some of those things 
and we look forward to continuing to benefit from some of the new rules and regulations of, of college athletics. But um, to me, you, you, you find a path, you get people um, on the same page, and you go, and you go nonstop. And we've got some, some good momentum. It's up, it's up to us to capitalize on that, not only on the field, but off the field as well with, with the fan base and the community and everyone involved. But um, I think everyone enjoys a winner. And we were able to show that we can do that, and we're going to continue to do that moving forward, and everybody gets excited about that. That was a really candid interview, Ronnie. Glad that he answered the way he answered, and it was really exciting to see how excited he was that we had a lot of students coming in, the fan base growing, especially for the student athletes, because I'm sure it's very important for them to have, you know, eyes paying attention to all the hard work that they're doing on the field. Yeah, and I got to say, you know, I've been here for a while. I've been to some games where Bobcat Stadium was mostly empty, and... You know, even one of the games we lost here, having all the students and staff and people in San Marcos in the stands cheering and rooting, even when they were down, made it just a lot more fun to go to games this year. You know, fans are a big part of sports and the sports experience. So I did start thinking about, like, what is it that draws us? Obviously, it's easier when we're winning. Winning draws people. But, you know, people root for their teams even when they're down. So what is it that, like, gets fans so invested in sports? So I reached out to uh, Dr. Michael Devlin in our journalism and mass comm program because he's got some really interesting insights in the fan behavior. Just introduce us a little bit to exactly what you do as a researcher. My area explores the intersection of uh, identity, social functions, and sport. Uh, it's a great context for explaining why we do the things we do um, you know, if you're a social researcher or a personality researcher, sometimes they, you know, the eyes gloss over when people talk to you about that. Uh, but when you start talking about it in the context of sport, people all of a sudden become a little more interested in what you're saying because they all relate to that. So that's uh, that's what I do. So what drew you to that particular area of research? You know, I wish I had some sort of very enlightening answer for you that I was driven by this, you know, discovery that I made. Uh, if I can be candid, it was about a girl. Okay. <laughs> and, and that girl ended up being my wife and we have three kids today. So it was a, it was a good choice. Good choice. Very um, much. But when I, I went to the university of Alabama, which is no stranger for sports, I was actually going to Alabama to get my PhD, uh, to study media effects, not FX, but effects so F, the effects mm -hmm. of consuming media. And, um, I met in one of our seminars, uh, a girl, I said, well, what do you, what are you studying? She said, I study sports. And she goes, well, what do you study? And I said, oh, I, I study sports, too. And she goes, oh, really? Like, like what? And she's like, I do PR crisis. And she's like, what do you do? And I go, um, you know, just advertising, because that's what I used to do before I got into sure. uh, to my PhD. So I went home and I started looking at every sports theory possible that I could have a conversation with this, uh, with this person. And eventually, you know, it was one of those things that I was able to tie in my previous experience working in advertising and marketing in my cognitive psychology, and I found a niche where I was like, oh wait, sports is actually relevant. So I wish I had a, a more philosophical answer, but really it was, I met someone, I wanted to have conversations with her, and it worked out, we ended up getting married and having three kids. So it was, uh, it was definitely an endeavor that worked out well for, for me, both professionally and personally. What is it about sports that gets people so invested and fired up and committed? You know, the big question is, why do we become sports fans? And if you think about it, why we consume sport? If I were to watch a movie, I know what I'm getting into. If I choose to go to a comedy or I choose to go to a thriller or a mystery, 
I know what I'm getting into and how I'm expected to feel at the end of that consumption. Sports is a unique media environment because you don't know if you're going to be elated at the end or highly disappointed. And so that begs the question, why do I do this? Why do I consume this media? Why would I put myself through this madness? And when we look at the motivations for it, really it becomes about belonging part of a community, about having a shared experience. Okay. And so, you know, when you think about when you go to a, um, a new environment, let's say you're going to a, a social conference or a restaurant or a bar, kind of a networking thing, and you across the halls or the thing see someone that wears uh, a logo of your team that you like or your rival or a sports star you like, it becomes an easy point of entry to say, hey, I'm also a Kansas City Chiefs fan or, oh my gosh, what do you think about, you know, the, the Super Bowl? And it becomes this level of easily identifiable identity that is non-threatening, like some other identities that we choose, because sport is one of those things that's very, like, we know at the end of the day it's, it's fun. Right. Now, it can get tribalism and it can get dark later on. We'll, we, I'm sure we can talk about that. But, sure. You know, the, the nice entry is it, it's a great way for us to belong to something and feel good about who we belong to and then open the door to others. I imagine that with our winning season, hopefully he saw a change in the Texas State fandom. Yeah, he actually has some numbers to show how excited Bobcat fans got this year. When you look at the social media mm-hmm. of Texas State, just our, our just our blanket Texas State social media, it was pretty consistent. It's your typical, you know, TX State next and the faculty, but there was no no uh, move in the needle. When we get to that bowl game, though, we actually see a really substantial, a significant spike. Wow. And you can measure it up, and it was up there. It was comparable with when Colorado was making its big push. Okay. Like, you know, and again, those are two different spots on the timeline. But remember when Colorado and Deion Sanders oh, sure, at the start they had of the won season. like three or four games and, and everyone was like upsets. really big on that. Yeah. And Colorado was like, wow, they're legit. So you kind of see a program that's under the radar, has a lot of success, it's getting a lot of attention on social media. Well, fast forward a few months, you see a kind of a similar it's not as significant as it's not as high as a spike, but in terms of the percentage of increase mm-hmm. from its baseline to its its peak you see a a relatively same relationship of you can definitely see there's a community of Texas state people who all of a sudden who've been burying our heads as fans or alumni or whatever, when they make and win their first bowl game are all of a sudden like talking. And, you know, we didn't get into the context if they were positive or negative. Right. But I'm, I'm going to assume it was a lot of positive, like congratulations, because no one's going to go out of their way to like bad talk uh, a Texas state team. Right. And especially after a win. Right. Right. (laughs) As a media researcher, uh, can you see a difference in the way people consume sports media as opposed to other forms of media? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you think about the era of we stream video, video on demand, DVRs, um, and then, you know, Netflix and, and who sport aside from what I would say for like The Bachelor, maybe is one of the most. <laughs> I do know people who watch <laughs> The Bachelor as a sport. <laughs> well, because but again, it's the it's one of the few things that you have to watch live. Mm hmm. You know, you got to know the results now because by the next day, if you watch it, you're going to know what the results are by the next day. But sport is really one of those unique areas that we have to consume live because we got to be in the conversation now. Right. We know the score is going to come up now. If you are on any type of social media, let's say you decide I'm not going to watch the Super Bowl because I have to work. I don't want to know I'm going to watch it the next day. Good luck not knowing the score. If you have any social media channels, because you are going to see that from somewhere. Um, whereas, you know, like, hey, what happened last night on True Detective? 
mm, you know, that's pretty, like, you can avoid that if you wanted to, you know, if you're not caught up yet. So right. it's, it's the last communication. Like, it's a, one of the last things, aside from The Bachelor, that we really have to watch live. Talk about the larger economy. How big a chunk of the economy is sports media or sports in general? So right now we're looking at, in the U.S. alone, it's about $520 billion. Did he say a billion? With a B, billion. And that includes sponsorships, television rights, merchandising, ticket sales. Um, worldwide, we're about anywhere between 1.3 to 1.5 trillion with a T. Okay. So we make up a bulk of that. And, you know, we saw a, a slight decline in 2020 and subsequently for a few years after that, obviously with COVID, with them shutting down um, live viewing, that became an issue. Also, you know, the seasons kind of got canceled halfway through. And I would say... 2022 you really start seeing that that comeback so there was like everything else it, it dipped down so we we are close to what the 2019 levels were um we were about 500 billion so it's still about 20 billion more which you know we say just 20 billion but yeah um so definitely we, we've been increasing but year over year the the economy is survives on sport it's a 520 billion in the u.s What's one of the common things that we hear is people say, well, I'm going to watch because I want to see right. the ads. Right. The commercials have become their own entity almost. Right. So an entire industry makes a big, giant chunk of change in investment based on one sporting event. And again, it goes back to because they know that's the one time that they can calculate eyes on a screen and they know people are going to be able to be exposed and they can track this. And it's a huge opportunity to see all those eyes. What's the most interesting thing to you that you've learned in your research? Just the coolest factoid. Oh, man. Okay. So I've been, I do um, some of my research has really started digging into the personality because the long thing that we accepted was sports. We're drawn to sports because we want to be part of a group, um, whether it's through our geography, our family, our need to fit in. There was this like sociological society need. And I, I started looking, I'm like, well, that doesn't explain everything. Because what about the personality side? Like, my mom's part of a book club. Her need to be part of something is completely fulfilled by her book club. And I guarantee her book club meetings are less raucous than a Super Bowl party, right? <laughs> I would hope so. So it was that idea of, well, what draws us to sports? Are there certain personality traits and characteristics that draws us to sport? And so I've been the last five years digging into these personality profiles of sports fans. And one of the things that I found with sports fans is sort of they mirror part of this dark triad that we see with uh, people who are uh, sociopaths. Okay. <laughs> I want to hear more about that. So the, the I, I use the uh, some personality skills. It's one of them, the one I use is called the Hexaco Personality Inventory. It's I'll, I'll save the, the listeners the, the details of it, but it's called the Hexaco. And they talk about things like Machiavellianism, uh, which is like, you know, extreme narcissism. Uh, we talk about things um, like greed avoidance and greediness, modesty, lack of modesty. And so one of the things you see in these levels of sociopaths is they're highly narcissistic. They're deceptive. They are able to kind of make their own truths of, you know, believe about like, well, this is my truth. I, I don't know if that's the truth. That's my truth. And so I was looking at that. Well, I had been doing sports fan research for, you know, collecting data over the last five years. And I kind of started playing around with it. And I said, wait a minute, hold on. These these ideas of narcissism and Machiavellianism are, are very correlated among highly identified fans. And so you look at that and it's, I'm not saying sports fans are sociopaths, <laughs> but the more you become a highly identified fan, you're, you start kind of getting this personality of, I believe my own lie. My team did not lose. They were cheated. 
or my team won because they are the greatest. They did not get an unfair advantage. And look at me. I'm going to make sure I buy every piece of merchandise so all of you know that I'm associated with this winning team, which is a lot different than my mom's book club. She did not go when she read, you know, the last book. She did not go buy a T-shirt that said so-and-so author is the greatest author in the world. You know, it's that, that idea that we share this allegiance. We want everyone to know who we are. And then when we lose, we are very good about corfing or cutting off that failure of that wasn't our fault. That was, we were cheated. But there's something interesting about what personality, what drives us to that sport. Cause it's more than just wanting to belong. Cause some people will have different reasons for wanting to belong to a group. You've written about how our sports fandom behavior can parallel our behavior in other aspects of our lives, like our social relationships and our political affiliations. Yeah, you know, so we belong, we, we, we're now in teams and it's really easy for us as human beings to want to associate with a team. Fortunately or unfortunately, you know, sports is a healthy way of doing that. Um, but we see this mirrored in, in other areas of life. So even if you're not a sports fan, it's really recognizable. And the one that comes to mention right now, especially because it's at the forefront of where we're at right now in society, is with politics. You're either the blue team or you're the red team. And so you see the sense of tribalism. I think part of it is driven by our, the media consumption we choose, where you have one channel that says, this person's the enemy, this is our problems. If you don't vote for this way, everything's gonna get worse. You have the other one saying, no, the other guy's the problem, or this is why nothing's getting done. So there's a lot of finger pointing, and it really mirrors sports in the sense of, you're on our team, this is what we talk about, and anything the other team does is a foul. Anything we do, well, it's not a foul if we do it. What happens is when you pick your team, you justify those decisions. And I'm very uh, convinced that if one day, one political party's completely reversed their stance and said, you know what, I agree, you guys are 100% right, we've been wrong this whole time. The other party would completely switch and be like, see, look at them, they're trying to, you know. <laughs> and I feel like they would just swap overnight because you have to have that conflict to get people engaged in your your tribe. Yeah, Yankees fans aren't going to root for Red Sox. Yeah, and if, if one day the Yankees, you know, the Red Sox are really classy people and I think we should support them. You're going to see everyone, like, you're going to see a whole flop, so... Yeah, it's like when, like, the star player of the other team gets signed as a free agent to your team. Yeah. You spent five years hating him, now he's your favorite person. Well, I still remember Yankees and Red Sox. You know, you saw Johnny Damon. He was, you know, the center field for the, the Boston Red Sox. They finally win the World Series. He's this, you know, he has long hair. He's this, like, captain. He's gritty. And everyone loves him. Everyone in Boston knows he was a big part of that that year that, that they won the World Series. Oh, yeah. He gets traded to the Yankees. He cuts his hair short. I remember. He shaves off his beard. And everyone in Boston was like, you are the worst human being in the world? They completely forget about all the good that they did. It was like, you crossed the other side. You're dead to me. And so, again, sports, same thing happens in politics. And you you see that in life. It's you, you, We draw these lines. If you're for me, you're great. If you're against me, you're the worst. And... I think in sports, it's healthy, it's fun, it's it creates conflict. I think outside of that, it can question about, like, is this really the best thing? Like, we shouldn't be setting policies based on tribalism. But I do love in sports, it creates a great story arc and a great storyline of who's the enemy, who's the good guy, who are we going to cheer for based on this storyline. We'll be right back after this. When you go to Texas State, there's never a shortage of things to do. From engineering and opera to esports and fencing, we have it all and more. Listen to our new podcast, Try at Texas State. 
to learn more with me, Giselle, about the kind of organizations and programs that make Texas State so special, and to take a deep dive into niche subjects that find its way into our everyday lives. Listen on Apple Music or Spotify, and episodes release every other Wednesday. That was really cool how he found the correlation between sociopaths and fans, but it honestly made a lot of sense, and especially when he started talking about, you know, the political aspects of it and kind of this whole cultural, how it affects culture in a lot of ways, sports, you know, you don't always make those associations, so that was really interesting just to hear him talk about those things. Yeah, that was, it was a really fun, fascinating conversation, but it did end on kind of a dark note, so yeah, for our last interview, I thought we'd try to do something a little more positive. Awesome. Who did you get a chance to talk to? So my name is Dr. Shelby Sharp. I am in the recreational therapy program, a clinical professor, and also... Her research is entirely focused on using sports to like make positive impacts in people's lives. Could you tell us exactly what is recreational therapy? Absolutely. So recreational therapy, we use recreation and leisure-based interventions to help promote improved quality of life. So what we're looking at is trying to improve physical skills, social skills, emotional skills, cognitive skills, and sometimes, especially with outdoor activities, we touch on the spiritual component as well. And so a lot of us in our profession, we use sports, games, art, music, outdoor aquatics and there's some folks that do equine therapy as well okay and we use those interventions to help work on specific goals that we've assessed while we work with our clients and what got you involved in this field i mean what drew you to that as a a subject to specialize in well i've always wanted to help people and i actually started my rec therapy journey here at texas state in the undergrad program And so as I got more involved, got more exposed to um, different interventions, different opportunities and settings, I just developed a strong passion for the field and getting that aha moment of, hey, we did something that was really interesting, but now let's connect it to your life. And it's kind of like, oh my, what just happened? This was kind of magic, how you connected these moments together to what I'm going through and how to help. Yeah, we've talked about sports as a spectator activity and fandom, but it seems like your work really focuses on not so much the competitive aspect, but how you can use sports and physical activity to do something really healthy for people. Yes. um, So recreational therapy, we're specifically certified in making decisions on what interventions, how to use them. But just as a whole, exercise, sports, physical activity in general is super beneficial to improving your mental health. Is recreational therapy to help people with, you know, mental health issues or is it more of a physical type of therapy or exactly who does it help? It's actually, I think, both. I think everybody would benefit Mm -hmm. from rec therapy, but I'm a bit biased. Um, So we work in physical rehab, neuro rehab. We work in behavioral mental health um, in residential treatment and acute settings, so a little short-term Um, But we also do a lot of community. Austin Parks and Rec has a lot of people that are recreational therapists working in the community for them. Um, City of Kyle just hired somebody as a rec therapist. We also work in nursing homes, skilled nursing facilities. So very broad 
field and very broad populations that we work with. Is it usually group activities or one-on-one or some of both just depends on the Some the of both, it depends on the needs of the client. And so we have our therapeutic process is called the APIDE process. And so we'll implement an assessment. And from that assessment, we build our goals and then we build our plan for treatment. And then we'll implement it, evaluate it, and document any progress that's occurred, um, any changes to make through their experiences and the interventions that we provided. Okay. And like specifically with mental health, I think we've all heard is that's become, you know, a topic that's discussed more openly. People talk about it as a almost a magic bullet for mental health and improving your mood and your outlook. Is there data like research to back up that? I would say as we talk about it more, there's more conversations about, you know, the chemical improvements from being physically more active um, specifically with the folks that I work with, um, I'm part of the RAISE initiative, and it's a group of us within the Health and Human Performance Department doing research about the impact of adaptive sports on people with disabilities. And we're seeing a lot of the mental health piece as far as learning to cope with different experiences, um, motivation and positive thinking, Um, But I don't know that it's the magic bullet. I think it's the entire experience of you're doing this activity, but you also have a community that you're building into it. And I think the community aspect is kind of what ends up being the most healing part of that experience. So it seems to me as if she's actually helping to build a a community of I wouldn't necessarily say athletes, right? But it seems like it's a community built around um, sports and a community built around athleticism. Yeah, like the the activity, the recreation part of it and the sport part of it is kind of the glue that brings the community together. And that's what the fandom is, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it's a lot like the other aspects of sports fandom we talked about just without that hardcore competitive adversarial angle yes um when you get more involved with adaptive sports we host the larry turner classic wheelchair basketball tournament every mm-hmm. fall and oh right here at texas state here at texas state just a crossover in jowers um we host it every fall we just had our 15th year this last year and we had 20 teams from across the country come in all the way from um littles that are just learning the skills and how to play to very serious competitive groups. Um, The San Antonio Spurs, the Austin Wreckers, um, they all come and through this annual event, yes, they're competitors when they're on the court, but the camaraderie when they're off the court is just a very special experience with each other, reconnecting, seeing how each other's doing, but also connecting with our students and educating our students on their experiences and their skills. And um, it's they just kind of adopt you into that community. And it, it's just a really beautiful thing to witness because then our students, through that experience volunteering, get their aha moment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them really start to develop that passion into rec therapy, which is what I love to do and teach. And just because I'm sure 
prospective students would be interested. Is this a growing field nationally as a career path for students? It is. It's a young field. It's a small field. Texas State is the only university in Texas that has this program right now, uh, or the full degree. There are some universities that might have a class, an intro class that you could take. But we have our full degree program, we're very hands-on, but there's universities across the country that have this program and have a lot of these different adaptive and inclusive services in the community and in different hospital settings as well. Is there anything else we need to know about recreational therapy or that you want the public to know about recreational therapy? Well, I just remembered a story related to adaptive sports and rec therapy, if I could share it. Absolutely. So I used to work with the military with the Warrior Transition Unit in San Antonio. It's now the Soldier Recovery Unit. Oh, is that for combat wounded veterans and active duty soldiers? Yes, it's um, for active duty and they're either going to transition out and medically retire or they might transition back to duty. And we had one soldier who was going to end up medically retiring that was a hemiplegic. What's that mean? Paraplegic, Mm -hmm. you have limited mobility or use of your lower body. Hemiplegic, you have limited use or mobility of one half of your body. So he was a hemiplegic and very recluse after his experience. And I can be a little pushy sometimes, or encouraging is the better word, very encouraging. And so they had a past interest in archery, and that's where we started, bringing him out to the archery course. And he learned how to shoot a bow with a mouth tab. Well, then it went into, okay, now we're going to do aquatics, and we would get in the pool together. And then as this now veteran gained confidence in being around people and his skills. He uh, tried out for the Warrior Games and was selected to be on the team. And one of the trials that he went to was in Hawaii. And there was a group of about five soldiers and we went to Hawaii together. It's one of the most beautiful moments I've ever seen. This uh, veteran couldn't walk down to the beach. Uh, The wheelchair you couldn't roll it down to the beach, right? There's a lot of sand. sand. There wasn't that an accessible path. And they literally put his arms around their shoulders and walked with him down so he could get into the water and experience being in the ocean in Hawaii. And I think he never would have had that experience had he not started participating in adaptive sports. And I think that emphasizes not only his mental health, his mood change, he started talking more, wanting to go to events more, but he built that community that was there to support him and gave him this once in a lifetime experience in Hawaii together. That was a really inspiring story, very heartwarming. I did because I didn't know so much about recreational therapy. It was just really interesting to hear how positively she affected somebody with, you know, her skill set and how much she made a difference in that individual's life. So that was really just cool to hear. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I was thinking we're just gonna hear some stories about people getting fit and feeling better, but you know, like that was really eye opening. And, you know, after everything we discussed about how crazy sports fans can get, but how fun it can be. And like, 
you know, obviously the new sports culture we have here at Texas State with not just football, but, you know, our baseball, softball, basketball teams have done so well over the last couple of years. You know, it, you know this is a fun episode for me. I'm curious, did you did it change your mind, Andy, on how you view sports now? Um, I got to tell every sports fan I know about the whole parallel between us and sociopaths. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good yeah, story. That, to that's tell. my new like party trivia for the next <laughs> few weeks, I think. But you know, like, it's it's fun to like step back and look at the the big picture there. Yeah, that was those were definitely some really engaging interviews that you had. Yeah, and this is a big sports year. I mean, we had our bowl game to end last year, and I think Texas State softball and baseball have both started off hot. But March Madness is here, and we've got Olympics coming this summer. And not to Dr. Devlin, we've got an election coming up in the fall, so we're going to be seeing all of this play out on the big stage. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for another episode of Enlighten Me. Next month, we've got spring break coming up, but we will be back with a mini episode of Enlighten Me, and I'm going to try to find something interesting about Texas State to enlighten Eddie about. This podcast is a production of the Division of Marketing and Communication at Texas State University. Podcasts appearing on the Texas State Podcast Network represent the views of the host and guest and not of Texas State University.